I'm here with Richard, uh, where uh, um, I met Richard at the PDC this last April yeah. uh, in in Montana. Um, and uh, uh, as I as I have promised, anybody who I run into that has listened to all of my podcasts, I'm happy to make a podcast with such people. Um, because they know what I have not yet talked about, and they will express what they don't know in the form of questions. Hi, Richard. Hey, five people and Paul. <laughs> so um, we kind of tried to scratch down a few things that uh, Richard thought we should talk about, and um, the the first item is permaculture eco scale, specifically my permaculture eco scale. Yeah, because everyone knows that Paul has his own Whedon eco scale, so I. I I, I just he hasn't come up with a permaculture eco scale. Well, I I think there's been a few times I don't know if it's been in podcast or out of podcast where I've kind of like thrown out the idea of like okay take the wheat and eco scale but instead of the wheat and eco scale it's called the permaculture eco scale or the permaculture scale well, and somebody might be a level zero and they might be a level ten or something like that but it's more um, lined up with permaculture stuff than than with what I call the eco scale stuff. And it's been a vague tool. Like, I haven't said who's at level 10, um, which in, on a permaculture scale, which doesn't have my name on it, then I would say universally it would probably have to be Jeff Lawton just because he is he is the crown prince, right? I mean, yes. uh, uh, so Bill Mollison uh, has, is passing the crown, and, and so, therefore, you know, it has to be Jeff. So um, uh, do I make uh, level nine? I, I don't know. Um, it's, I mean, the, the permaculture scale is vague. It's 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 just a similar tool, and and uh, but I still think it would be logarithmic. You know, where uh, uh, what is it? A, a a million at level one and hun? No, wait. Yeah, a billion at level one, a hundred million at level two, ten million at level three, etc. Similar to your Wikimedia scale. Uh, at the top, there's only one or two people, like the poulter. Um At the top, at, at level 10, there, there is, by definition, in, you know, with the wheat and ecoscale, there is one only person. One. There's exactly one. And at level 9, there's exactly 10. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, uh, what, what did you want to know about the permaculture scale? Any, or was that it? Well, well one thing that brought it to mind is one of your recent podcasts about your land and how you would have like an area where you would have auto, regular cars that could go then you would have an area where your only electric vehicles would be allowed and then you'd have an area with like no electricity no nothing. Right, no vehicles are allowed. And you were questioning whether or not lighting would be I, I suspect that it would I, I cannot think of a way to have lighting in that area. I mean, right? Okay, so I know what you mean. So I, I think later I named those three sections. I, I named them permaculture, semiculture, and hust, yep. which is not necessarily you know. It, it's more like I'm giving them those names for now to help divide the land with because I think I do think of these things as different levels. I do think of semiculture as being better than permaculture. And I do think of husk as being more of like 
thinking about the future, and it's an unknown. We don't current. It's, it's a it's a burr in the saddle. We got to try and figure it out. And I think that that's what I am seeking. Okay. So now, um, uh, as far as like a scale, I mean, I do think that part of what I was saying is is that uh, on that piece of land that um, uh, the symbiculture land would be ten times better than the permaculture land, which lead, lends itself to the scale. So I suppose you could say that um, uh, if, if you were to apply the permaculture scale or my scale or something like that, then it's possible that um, uh, it, it would be, in a certain sense, uh, levels 7, 8, and 9, although um, I don't think that's really a good fit because, then, you know, you could say, okay, Seth Pulsar can come and rule, but it's like, no, that husk land, I don't think Sep would be – I'm not sure how I would feel about – I mean, Sep definitely doesn't get to call the shots there on husk. And and on top of that, I'm nervous about putting my own feet on husk. And and so I do think it's possible there can be people that can go on to husk that I'll be comfortable with. But, um, I'm you know, I think I would have to have a chat with Sep before he would go on to that. And it's difficult to talk with Sepp. Um, yes, he's not a, he's not a, a big dialogue guy. And, and so a lot of it is, is because he is so knowledgeable and, and the peons that surround him tend to not be worthy to talk to. Um, at the same time, I've got my reservations. And as much as Sepp is number one on the Wheaton Eco scale, um, there's things I want to do with that husk segment that, you know, I think, I, you know what, I think, I think, uh, if SEP would, if it, we've got it set up, I, I'd like to think that SEP would be really impressed, but we've got to tell him what's going on before he walks onto it. And I would love to hear his suggestions about it, but I don't think I would put him in charge of it. So it's a different, it's a different, Thing. It's not like I can say, okay, Sep, fresh out of the box, walks onto the land, Sep, go right in and tell us how it has to be different. You know, I don't, I don't think that's, I'm not, that, that gives me the willies. So I, I'd want, I'd want, I mean, basically I think that there needs to be a certain reverence for the earth in going into that section. And, and I, and I kind of think that when, when, it's like I'll let anybody out of the permaculture chunk, kind of, sort of, maybe, well, most people. Well, well, some, you know. But I'm a little more open there. Anyone without a bucket load of tactic kicks. Kinda, yeah, yeah. Somebody, you know, people, people who have a vague idea of what organic means, and and that we're shooting for something ten times beyond organic, and and so you know, those people gladly. And then I think to go into semiculture, though, I think I think we have to be assured that they kind of understand what we're going for. So, for example, I was at Brian Kirkliet's place yesterday. No, day, day before yesterday. Oh, up in Bellingham? Up in Bellingham. Um, yeah, it was the day before yesterday. And um, uh, so we're talking about how I have an aversion to shaking a tree. It, it's something I, – I went I, – and, and so I actually went to the Prague Tree Farm uh, that same day, later that day. And um, I went there for a cider party many years ago, 
and and during the cider party, what they would do is they'd put a sheet under the tree and shake the shit out of the tree, and the apples would fall out of the sheet, and then they would make cider out of the apples. Okay, and it's efficient. It's very efficient. And yet every time they did it, I cringed. I just didn't like it. I, I just felt it was disrespectful to the tree. And, you know, and, and so I mentioned this to Brian, and he's like, oh, the tree doesn't care. Shake the shit out of it. And and I, it's kind of like, uh, it just, I, I hate that. I just hate it. I'm not going to shake a tree to get its fruit. I think that the respectful thing to do is to pick the fruit. And I think I think that the tree wants me to pick the fruit. I mean, basically, it's like putting the fruit in the package to say, take this seed and go plant it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of like, um, I want to respect the tree. I, I just need to. I have to. And when somebody else doesn't, it really bothers me. And so on my land, I don't want anybody shaking the fucking trees. Yeah, because in my opinion, everything is living. So you have to treat living beings respectfully. Yeah. Not, not to get all woo-woo, but... I don't... Yeah, and I don't think I'm a terribly woo-woo guy, although I've also had some people say that they think I'm the ultimate in woo-woo, uh, and I don't understand that. But um, uh, I... But this is, this, is a, this is my weirdness. I've got a weird thing here, okay? I don't want to shake the tree. Uh, I want... I, you know, I think the thing to do is to pick the fruit from the tree. You know, it takes a little longer. It takes a little bit more work. But damn it, I think that that's what's right. And and um, and I think that on my land, people that are tree shakers, they can go live somewhere else, you know, and go shake some other tree, you know. And so it's important to me to not shake the tree, all right? I'm weird that way. All right, so how do we get onto this? <laughs> uh, we were talking about eagle scale <laughs> in the three different sections of your property. Okay. All right. Well, hey, so the three different sections of the property. You wanted to talk about a permaculture scale. Right. Did we cover the permaculture scale? I mean, what is, was there something else you wanted to talk about in that respect? Yeah, I just wanted your thoughts on the different, like the different tiers of permaculture. And you did cover it, I think. Because there are people who practice permaculture and stage permaculture, but it's kind of not really. Yeah, well, oh, well and, and much like the wheat and eco scale, I think it's important when somebody is doing it kind of not really that if they call, I mean, it's like the whole, you put gum on the end of a stick, you can call it permaculture if you've taken a PDC. Although now we learn from Jeff Lawton, the, the crown prince of permaculture, mm-hmm. that no, you can put gum on the end of a stick and call it permaculture and you never you didn't have to ever take a PDC, and that's totally cool. Really? Yeah. You haven't gotten to that podcast yet? <laughs> I, I probably skimmed over that part. <laughs> no, I, yeah, because I, I was a little bit behind before today, but I was, like, cramming them all in. <laughs> I, I guess I just missed the last one and a half. So so uh, Jeff, Jeff Lawton said that uh, it's okay for somebody to teach a permaculture workshop and they've never taken the PDC. And the only thing that you're not allowed to do is you're not allowed to teach a PDC if you've never taken a PDC. Okay. So, and this kind of reminds me of something, too. Somebody on Permies, and, and, and after talking to Jeff, somebody commented on that podcast with Jeff, and somebody said, you can't call it, it, it you know, if you do permaculture without the ethics, 
you can't call it permaculture. That's not permaculture. And and my feeling is is that um, how how are you going to do permaculture without the ethics? I mean, like, what would that be? It, it's just I, I don't think it would be permaculture really because part of the ethics. What would be an example? Look, that guy over there. There he is, Bob. He's doing permaculture without the ethics. What is Bob doing? What what is the thing you do where you do permaculture without the ethics? What would be traditional agriculture? That's not, I don't think that's permaculture. I don't think they would even call it permaculture. I mean, like, so somebody goes and they build a food culture bed, but without the ethics. What's that? They got dead bodies in there? No. Like babies or for fertilizer? That that would still be permaculture. With the babies or without? Well, without the babies. Without the babies, yeah. So that's permaculture. I mean, where's the part where there's no ethics? Like, okay, that's the thing I don't understand. Permaculture without the ethics is not permaculture. Well, well wh- why do we have to say this? Why did the guy feel like he had to say this? Hey, you, over there, doing the permaculture without the ethics. That's not permaculture because there's no ethics. Well, I think, like, with permaculture, the ethics are built into everything you do. Like, the Google culture, you're, like, still taking care of the land and all that stuff. You're respecting everything because you want more out of it. Does that make sense? I didn't. I still didn't catch the part where. I mean, I just need an example. Give me an example of where there's permaculture going on. Somebody's doing permaculture, and they're saying, "I'm doing permaculture." But it's like you, you gotta. You come along and you say, "That's not permaculture because you don't do the ethics there." See, see the lack of the ethics. That's why it's all sitting funny. I can't. I can't think of anything. Yeah. So, so then when somebody comes up and says, when they say that, and this is what I pointed out on the forums of Permeate, is I said, okay, I, I'm, I think, based upon the fact that there's no examples, I think that what we got here is whenever everybody's doing permaculture, then I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that they've got at least some level of ethics, you know, if they're doing permaculture, you, you know, and, and it's like saying, that if they're saying permaculture without the ethics is not permaculture, it's like you've just kind of said, and you've said in response to somebody or in response to hearing about somebody, or then you, haven't you just suggested that that person has no ethics or that they're not following the ethics or that, I mean, they've done something bad. And it's like, yeah, you suck. And and so um, I I think I think that that's suggesting that they suck. And and I don't allow anybody on permits to suggest that anybody no. on permits is anything less than perfect. So therefore, that's not allowed to be said on permits. Um, and and it's kind of like uh, and that's why we we, we kind of dissected. Well, why did you say that? Well, that person was talking about their permaculture and they didn't mention the ethics. Right? I you know so like if somebody says I like to make herbal culture because I like to use less water. That person's a wicked fucker because they forgot to say the part about the ethics. I, I can see your point now. Uh, so I'm, I'm seeing, so once again, I'm seeing it being used as a weapon and not as a tool to help make a better world. So it's like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I'm, not, I'm missing something. But, but that's, so that's a concern I have is that it's like, you know, Hey, um, I mean, you know, and I tried to talk to Jeff about it in the podcast of like, okay, 
I'm, I'm seeing it used as a weapon. I'm not seeing it used as a tool to advance. And we just kind of seem to skirt around. Maybe I, you know, I wasn't paying attention when Jeff was talking, and I got the real lesson. But I could really use an example of somebody doing permaculture, and they're saying, I'm doing permaculture. And, and it's like, ooh, there's an ethics sorting. Now, now, now let's go back to the scale, a permaculture scale. At level one, because, I mean, there's only, of all the people that have heard the word permaculture, I imagine that we're somewhere in the scale of about 10 million. And I guess that number because we currently have 1 million people per month gawking at my empire. So there's got to be probably at least 10 million people that have heard the word permaculture at some point in time. Yep. So, um, I mean, so then that, so let's see, it's, it's level one is a, is a billion, level two is uh, 100 million, so level three. So you got to get to level three just to hear the word permaculture. <laughs> so, uh, uh, all right, and, and then yeah, some, and then you've just heard it, and maybe what at level four, then you've built a hugu culture bed that's like six inches deep. You you buried a stick, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, or or uh, you've you've actually read an article on hugu culture, or you. Um, uh, have done, you know, something. There's like a little bit more research than just hearing the word. Uh, and, and then you get to level five in permaculture and, and so you've, uh, I don't know. But anyway, there's, but right, we go out and we see systems and I think, I think there's a lot of people that are really trying and, and it's like when I go out and I've got my video camera and people are like, oh, video me, video me, video me, and it's kind of like, um, what I'm seeing here is the same thing I've seen a thousand times before. So, kind of, kind of want to video something new. Yeah. Kind of want to video something that you know ain't out there yet. And uh, I'm looking for some big leaps here, or some really fascinating stuff. And so um, I tend to piss a lot of people off because I don't video their stuff. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm so look, I got my chickens. I got my chickens, and look, I made them a $10,000 chicken coop. And uh, look at that. See the chicken coop that cost the money there. It's uh, some serious dough. And granted, there's, there's six chickens in a space that, you know, is too small for them, and they're standing in their own shit. But isn't it awesome? Take a video of that. And it's kind of like, I yeah, I think... I think the I think you made those chickens sad, man. I think they'd be better off in the jungle. You should, you know, you should give them a ticket to, you know, one South America. <laughs> a one-way ticket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, all right. Um, uh, uh, I I think that there's a lot of uh, the the way that it's used as a as a weapon. The word permaculture is being used as a weapon, and the thing with the ethics and stuff like that. It, it does seem like it's saying you have to practice permaculture the way I practice permaculture, and that's the only way to practice permaculture. I think that there's many schools of thought, and we saw that at the Bullock Brothers. You were there yeah, uh, a little while ago. Exactly, and I really, I really enjoyed the Bullock Brothers permaculture farm. I was totally amazed at what they've accomplished in the – how long have they been there, 30 years? Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Something like that. And it was just, like, amazing. It really was amazing. Right. That was I think that was like my fourth or fifth time there. 
and and I was glad to see that that they've uh, upgraded the way they they manage their chickens. So they are doing a paddock shift system now to their chickens. Yep. Now they still have the old coop, but again, a lot of their chickens was still uh, being paddock shifted, and they yeah. just completed a PDC there a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So now, um, I was kind of hoping that when I got up there, I'd be able to go with Dave Bainline. Like, like Dave Bainline would be there to do the tour. And, um, or, uh, maybe Doug Bullock. But Dave was out, out that day. I saw him, yes. Yeah, and, and then, uh, Doug Bullock was sick. So, um, so we had, so one of the interns, uh, led the tour. And I think I did a very admirable job of biting my tongue. You, I must say you did. So, uh, so I know that, that you asked a few things that I thought were important things. Um, that, uh, I, I was like trying to bite my tongue over. Um, I think that the gal that, um, that, that gave us the tour, um, I think she did a, um, uh, a, a lovely job for people that have not been to the Bullock Brothers before. Mm-hmm. And, and were per- possibly uh, permaculture newbies, you know? Yeah, because even though, I don't have a lot of history in permaculture, but I did take the PDC in Montana, so I, I do understand a lot of the concepts. But yeah, you're right. She, for someone new to permaculture, she she did an okay, a really good job for someone new to permaculture. But for those of us who kind of know what it all is about already, it was it was still okay, but not not as good as if you didn't know anything. So, um, uh, in a previous podcast, I think I said, and, and if I didn't, I'm, I'm saying it now, I, I think that the premier permaculture site in the Pacific Northwest was the Bullock Brothers, and now it's, it's Brian Kirkliet's farm. Um, and, and so, um, and, and I think there's some interesting things with the Bullock Brothers, and there's some amazing things with the Bullock Brothers. Yeah, I was surprised about the, Hawth- the Hawthorne tree, Is the, the one Bill Mollison planted that Everyone got mad at him for. Oh, the tiny one. Right. Uh, you mean the honey locust? The honey locust. I'm sorry. So we saw a honey locust there at the at the Bullock Brothers. Yes. And and if anybody wants to send me a gift, I I, I do have a request. It reminds this reminds me because years ago in Colorado, I saw a honey locust tree. It was a thornless honey locust tree, but it had like a little twig sticking out of the trunk that was covered in proper thorns, the big three-inch mamas. And, and it's, but the rest of the tree is thornless. So it's this little deviation from the norm, this little. And, and so I, I plucked this little twig, and I carried it around for ages, and, and now I don't seem to have it anymore. And, um, and I really liked my honey locust twig with the majestic, intimidating thorns um, I, 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 I just really like that, and now it's, now it's done. So if, if somebody had such an amazing twig, just a foot-long twig with, with the spectacular thorns that only a honey locust can do, that, that I would love to just have such a twig again. So, um, and my daily email, of course, has my mailing address and all that. Um, all right, but, okay, so the, the thing is, uh, let's, let's talk about the Bullock Brothers for a little bit. Does that sound good? Yep. All right. So um, I thought that the, the gal doing the – I mean, there was one point in time when you said something. I can't remember. It was very early on. 
And um, I think... the Google culture, was it? Okay, this is later. Okay. You said something about, I think, Sepp Holzer or something like that. And I, and I said, um, I think you'll find that, um, or the, whatever, you, whatever it is that you were saying, and I, I kind of said this to the whole group, um, and, and the, the, the gal leading the tour allowed me to say things like this once in a while, which I thought was gracious of her. And And uh, I said, well, uh, what you're thinking of is a rather Holzerian. And I said something like, permaculture is a broad umbrella that covers many schools of thought. And what you're thinking of is kind of a Holzerian approach to permaculture. And the Bullock brothers are going to be very Holmgrenian. And... Yeah, because they did bring up something about sepulture and just how, how kind of his approach. Yeah, and she looked confused, and she kind of was like, you know, this this kind of like uh, look of like what? And and so anyway, um, I said my thing about Holzerian versus Holmgrenian, and then immediately she said something about the ethics. Yeah, she said, I, I, and so so she mentioned the first two ethics. And then I said, oh, just out of curiosity, could you tell me, here on the Bullock Brothers Farm, what's the official third ethic? And she artfully dodged that question, which made me think that she probably can't remember the third ethic, <laughs> which is okay by me. Uh, and, and so I was just kind of curious whether it was fair share or or was it return surplus to the first two or was it something about population control? And which I think would be reflective of you know what they teach. Right. So, um, but but you know, but anyway, the fact that there was there was an emphasis on the ethics, and she said everything is based on these ethics. Then uh, that's I thought okay, Holmgrenian, uh, you know, as opposed to Holtzerian or you know. Anyway, um, uh, later somebody asked about. Can you make money? And, and, and the thing I said was, you know, they asked about money. Well, why don't you try to make more money? Can't you do this to make more money? What about some money, huh? Money, money. And, and my response was, uh, um, you know, here at the Bullet Brothers, these guys are plant geeks. It's, it's really about what can we get to grow here that's never grown here before. Every interesting species that they can think of for the sake of the interesting species. And, and grafting. Can we graft it? Can we graft that? Can we graft this? Can we graft one tree 187 times? And um, can we graft onto a graft onto a graft onto a graft onto a graft? Would that work? Actually, they did show us some examples of many grafts on one tree. Yep. <laughs> it seemed like they really enjoyed that. They loved the graft. Yeah, and they've, they've done some amazing things with grafting. Yeah, I was totally surprised. I, I've heard your podcast before about the three that were some rodent or something girdled the bottom and right. I actually saw that in person it, it was it was truly amazing what they did and I and I looked at that and I just kind of thought there's a vector for fungus <laughs> <laughs> so um, I they they love 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 the graph and so somebody's saying why don't they make more money why don't they can't they do more money 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 and I'm kind of thinking to myself like uh you know what? When a lot of us in permaculture are trying to get somewhere, the bullets have arrived. Yeah. And and where they've arrived is at plant geek nirvana. And and so they're they're drinking lemonade in the hammock. You know? Um and so then if you were to give the Bullock brothers 
Like, 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 what if they came up with something and then they could have an extra billion dollars? I imagine that nothing would change there. It would be exactly the same, only they'd have a billion dollars in the bank. I can't imagine what they would buy with even an extra $10,000. The only thing I think they might do is just expand. But that's, I can't think of them. I don't even think that they would do that. You don't? I, okay. I'm trying to imagine, like, would they buy a lot of extra property? I don't think so. Um, I mean, basically, if you're going to be a plant geek, um, I think I think that they've kind of yeah they have reached Nirvana pretty much yeah you know maybe they'll add two more plants but they're going to add the two more plants with or without the billion dollars exactly you know yeah. and and so um, they've got like a dozen interns there and they're masters at the intern and and I was totally. Because what do they have? Ten acres or so? They they officially own eleven acres, okay. but they've returned seven of them back to marshland. Okay, so yeah, and I was I was kind of surprised about how many interns they had for what four or five acres, because it seemed like they had like ten or twelve interns. True, true, and and so. Um, uh, can you see why an intern would want to go there and not some other farm? Well, I can see why because it's already established, and they're like, and there's a lot of exploration available. But like, you can play with a lot of different species that you normally wouldn't even find in the Northwest. True and true. And and what else do they have there that an intern really, 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 really wants? Community, which is a which is a pleasant way of saying you're, you're like not getting this at all, are you? No, you know where I'm so other interns. Oh, yeah, other young people, especially the interns of the gender that you're kind of keen on. <laughs> yeah, there were quite a few of those. Well, I'm not thinking that you particularly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking that if you're an intern right. and you're thinking to yourself. Okay, I'm going shopping for where I'm going to go and be an intern. And twenty somethings mixed, male, female, and right, know. right. There's a good chance you're going to get laid. And, exactly. And, and so, uh, whereas you go to another farm, it's like you know you will be the only intern. Hmm. Or what do you think about that? Three males or three? Yeah. Right, 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 right. And and so, but basically, I mean, it's a funky, cool place. I, I was totally, even though it it seemed a lot bigger than what it actually was. True, true. And and I think there's a lot of things, I mean, that might be a whole podcast topic in itself, talking about how the place seemed far larger than it really was. But um, anyway, the, the, the thing is, is that, yes, they've got a lot of people there, a lot of interns, and I think it's important to point out that they've come up with a way, with a technique, to have a symbiotic relationship with interns because for a lot of people it doesn't work out. The interns yeah. drive them nuts. And, and you know, because every intern, of course, comes with their own bucket of psychology, and and some buckets smell better than others. And, yeah, and so, and, and then it's like, uh, um, but anyway, they've, they've, they've got a system for, for having things work out. And, and unlike other farms, uh, the interns pay to be there. 
which is um, pretty unique in, in this thing, in, in all this uh, organic farming stuff. Yeah, now, I was surprised to learn that the Bullocks really didn't make money off the interns, but the money that they paid was for, like, supplies or extra food they had to bring in or what have you. So, yeah, the interns have to buy their own food, mm-hmm. um, whereas normally uh, the deal is is that if you bring in an intern, uh, they, they're expected to work 35 hours a week, you give them a $30 a week stipend, and you provide them with room and board. At the Bullock Brothers, um, there is some feeble hippie habitat around, uh, first come, first serve. Yes. Uh, and you got to cover your own food, uh, uh, I, and you got to pay money to be there. Yeah, because uh, prior to going on the tour, I, I camped over there one night. Right, but they charge hardly anything there, yeah, don't they? Yeah, it was almost nothing. Yeah, yeah. So, and they probably let you in on their food for like a dollar. I, I didn't really ask about that. They, oh, okay. they said I was responsible for my own food, but when I got there, the guy didn't know. So. My my impression is is that if you put in ten bucks, it's like they're going to be like, wow, that's going to feed the rest of us for a week. You know, it's it's, it's like suddenly you're the big spender. You know, it's like crazy huge money. Um, and uh, so, but anyway, the deal is is that they pay to be there to their own food, and then they're pretty much on their own for housing, although there are a couple of little shacky-like things around right. and, and stuff like that. But um, and, and then backing up a little bit further, the key is is that the Bullock Brothers have reached permaculture nirvana for what they seek. Mm-hmm. And and uh, which is which is you know a plant geek kind of thing dominantly, um, and when you're there and Dave's there or Doug's there, it's like every minute you get to hear about a species of plant. Oh really? Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, and and the gal that was giving us the tour, uh, she knew a lot of the species, but she she doesn't know them. like like they just breathe species there, you know so. They, and, and and so I was a little disappointed. I mean, I, it's a bit of a ferry ride. There's a bit of I mean, a bit of travel to get there and a bit of travel to get back. Yeah. So you know, it's like uh, so. My thinking was is like, this better be good. <laughs> you know, I, I think I've been there so many times before, but it's always great to see Dave or Doug. And then when I didn't get to see either of them, and I was kind of like, oh crap, an intern. And and so. Um, the, you know, the intern did good and everything, but it's like I, I, I bit my tongue. If, if it was Doug or Dave, I could have said anything I wanted. I could have challenged them on anything, and they'd be right there with their own defense. And in fact, I think that you know, myself and whichever one of them it would be would, would kind of get into it, and we'd kind of have an exchange, which would be a good, healthy thing, you know. And and uh, um, but I. I kind of felt like if I tried doing this with this young woman, then you know it would have it wouldn't have been nice. It would have turned out not so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would have been dark the rest of the day. So I just decided to keep it in check. And and uh, so once in a while, I I was really surprised when you I think it was, I think it was you that asked the question about Hugo culture. Yeah, and I tried to phase it in a way where I didn't say Hugo culture, but. Yeah, I, I essentially did ask about Hugo culture, and then she came back saying, "Well, they tried it, but it just didn't work out for them." 
or I think, well, her her stuff was to say that Hugo culture does not work here, and that's when I said I would like, you know, I, I'd like to express that I think permaculture is a broad umbrella with many schools of thought, and it's possible that somebody could have a property right next door, and that permaculture artisan might have a different way of going about things mm-hmm. than the Bullock brothers, and that artisan might possibly have Hugo culture as part of their strategy. I mean, the thing that bothered me is that they had, like, they just had water pumps everywhere. And I think a big part of it is, is like, hey, you know what's cool? Hooking up a solar panel to a little electric pump and watching it pump water way the hell up the hill. Yeah, I was actually surprised about, like, all the pipes they have in the ground, either for drip irrigation or wastewater. I was totally blown away just by how all that stuff was organized. I I like their gray water systems. They have they have great gray water systems. They really do. They do. Um, the whole pumping water and irrigation thing is something. I mean, like, there's a lot of infrastructure there that, that for irrigation. And, and so that kind of bugs me. I, I kind of wish that, I mean, granted, they get 16 inches of rain a year. And it was kind of weird that she didn't know that, so I'm the one who supplied that tidbit of information. Um, uh, during, somebody asked during the tour, how much rain do you get here? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you get 16 inches of rain a year. Because I've asked that question in the past, and Dave said 16. <laughs> so, um, But I kind of would rather see them have a lot of culture and a lot of uh, systems that were not irrigation. And even with 16 inches a year, it was still surprising how lush everything was. Right, but they do have a lot of irrigation. Right, right. Yeah, and and granted, they are doing a nursery business, so they have a lot of they have a lot they have a gazillion plastic pots, and so then they're you know oh and then there was a, did you notice that she dodged my question about um, imported uh, compost? Oh yeah, about well just importing stuff in general. That gal's going to have a career in PR. Yes. She, she's going to make six figures in the world of PR. And so, because so, it's like, what was it? I saw wood chips in the compost, yes. and I said, is is this um, imported compost from off-land? And, um, and so then she responded to say, well, sometimes we do chip wood here, and, you know, we pay special attention to the, the types of wood we're chipping, and, and next thing you know, it went off into wood chipping. And, I mean, it was pretty obvious that she's trying to avoid that question. I remember that explicitly. And she did it artfully. She is a master. Damn, she's good. She's just so young, and she's good at that. That's why they put her in charge of the tours. (laughs) Maybe that's it. (laughs) Well, that is among other things. She, she, She recognized me when I arrived, but and but I don't think she had any real idea what about my stuff. And so she she knew who I was, um, but I kind of I kind of wondered if there was this conversation of like, oh fuck, Paul Wheaton's coming here and Doug is sick. What are we going to do? <laughs> Let's make Jane do it. <laughs> so and and I I thought she she did she did great. Um, and well anyway, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, she really did do a good job. And again, overall, I got a lot from the tour. Right, and I was bored because I've been on that right. exact tour. Or something, and she only gave like half the tour. Oh, there there would have been more. 
Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's like we we only saw like half the property. Yeah, cause, yeah, because we stayed on one side, and then on the other side, since I camped there, I was able to walk around a little bit. We didn't see any of the eco buildings. No. And and uh, that she didn't show anybody the chickens. And, so, and then yes. and they've got their main uh, area for the nursery, which has all the different plant species stuff in it, including their attempt at the rhubarb barrier going around the outside to keep grass out. Yeah, that, that I was at first until Paul explained it. I was wondering why why the heck would they plant rhubarb outside of the garden? It so. just didn't make any sense at the time. Um, and, and so anyway, there's lots. They left out that that pond where they they normally go swimming, but I think that they leave that out because usually there's people skinny dipping. And, <laughs> yeah, probably. and so you know, sometimes you go on a tour and somebody's like, you know, uh, oh no, I saw a naked person, and now I have to. I'm, I've been trained to be upset about that, so I have to now be upset and. I have to complain and tell people and blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Oh my stars! <laughs> Somebody was out there naked as a jaybird. That's just not okay on private land that they can just be naked whenever they want. There's a tour coming through here. It should be posted. <laughs> they shouldn't be that way. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think most of my previous trips to the Bullets featured somebody naked at some point. Oh, yeah, I didn't notice that. You, you did or you did I not? I did not. I did not. I think it was a little cooler the day that we were there. When it was, like, really hot. On the day before we got there. Yep. Yeah, it was. I, I almost had to wear a jacket while walking around. Yeah, I think. Except, so. except a couple of spots where they had like sun traps and stuff like that. But. Right. 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 So let's see. Um, from our notes here about the bullet brothers, we'll see. Now, one, one thing I wanted to mention is the only animals I saw, and I, I raised this question to them, was they had chickens and ducks. Yeah, chickens and yeah. ducks, and I think. I think they were just moving some guinea hens in as as we were there, <clears throat> but they were like babies. Yeah, um, yeah, and I did pose a question to them, and yeah, they they were quite happy with just having chicken, chickens and ducks. Right, part of their system. I think you asked about pigs or something, and they yeah, and, pigs and goats. And we dodged that one too, um, talking about possibly getting more land, so there would be more animals. Didn't exactly answer your question, but you know, damn, she's good. <laughs> yeah, but I again, I don't try and put these things, so I, I just, I just made an interesting observation. Now, the last time I was there was three years ago, and um, and they were building a pond up on top, and this was going to be, I believe, their first pond ever without a pond liner, and and it turns out that a couple of years before that, um, I was the uh, I I, uh, I helped get the pond liner to them, um, <clears throat> you know the EPDM. But those ponds were like really really small, um, and then uh, but then so then three years ago they're building their, their first one, and they were going to they're they're digging it out, and they were saying that what they're going to do is they're going to run ducks in it, and by running ducks in it, mm-hmm. and this is so I gotta I gotta warn the pod people in advance. I, I think that this is this is incorrect, and I said so at the time. And so he says, by running ducks in it, this process is called gleeing or glaying. And and so, <clears throat> yeah, see, that was exact. So I, I was talking to Doug, and I said, Doug, I, I'm really sure that's not it. Gleeing or glaying is organic matter, 
that's put underwater, so, it's, so it breaks down anaerobically and it creates an impermeable layer. Whereas you're thinking of like, you know, but on the other hand, you can run pigs, but the shapes of their hooves pack the soil in such a way that it will hold water for a wallow. But that's not called gleaning or glaying. That's a different thing. And ducks, the flat feet of the ducks don't do it. I think, I think with ducks, they can seal an area, but I think it has something to do with how they dig their bills in to try and find stuff, and they jiggle it. I, and I'm not, I'm not sure, but if you've seen ducks do this weird thing that they do, I've seen them kind of sort of create puddles, well, but not like a whole pond. Isn't that kind of like how Step works when he uses backhoes? He kind of jiggles the land? He kind of, yeah. When, it, when, he's, when he's got soil that's really, really, really difficult, then, um, uh, and it's sandy, and he's having, he's going to have a hard time sealing it. Then not only does he do the compaction with the um, the bucket, but before he packs it, what he does is he picks up a scoop with water in it and jiggles it a lot, and then he he pours it back out and then packs it. Oh, okay. And then I I think that you know the idea is is that you're going to get certain different layers of of stuff, um, and 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 so you've got one layer of packing on the top. And then some of the, then you'll get all the clay jiggled out, and the clay will settle on top of that and help to provide more of a seal also. So you got like two different kinds of potential seal going on. So that might be how the ducks do it. Yeah, that's uh, that's my guess. You know, and I'm not sure about the ducks, but anyway, he was saying it's a glee, and that it also involves the manure. And I'm thinking like, no, I don't think that's how it works. So, um, so anyway, the, the, the gal said, that, oh, you know, she repeated what Doug said. And it's like, uh, uh, you know, so I, so clearly, clearly, uh, uh, okay, so Doug's still sticking to that. And it's like, okay, you know what, there's, I think that there's like a 4% chance I could be wrong on this. So, um, and, and Doug is right. But I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm right on this one. Um, <clears throat> all right. Oh, yeah, you mentioned lawnmowers. We wrote down lawnmowers. Yeah, I saw a gasoline-powered normal lawnmower there, and I thought things were mowed way too short. And on top of that, when it came to um, the uh, guilds under a fruit tree, it always kind of bugged me that um, I saw some good guilds, and I took some pictures. But most of the fruit tree guilds I saw were like these little foot-wide donuts around the base of a big tree, and it's kind of like, really? That's that's it? <laughs> that, yeah. That's the guild? <laughs> it should it it should extend way beyond the drip line. Right. And it, it probably was just a season, but I also noticed there was mainly one type of plant in there. Comfrey. Comfrey. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of yeah. I was kind of thinking that too. Like. Heavy on the country, light on anything else. But again, it, it was probably just the season because the fruit the fruit trees were flourishing. They 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 seemed to be doing pretty well. Now in the past, uh, now when we were there this time, we did see their gardens, and their gardens had some monocropy patchy things going on, which always kind of bugs me. But then I saw the same thing at Brian Kirkliet, and and I gave him shit about it. And Brian said, "Well, here's the problem I have." is I have newbies coming onto the land, and they're like, well, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? 
And then you send them out, okay, go pull the weeds out of the strawberries. And then they pull out all the strawberries. And it's like, okay, right. this is, so, so then the, the thing is, if you put them in front of a polyculture and give them instructions on what to harvest or what to, you know, like, like, oh, there's bindweed here or, or, oh, there's, um, uh, you know, this other weed we, we, we want to get rid of or, or something like there's something that's, that's dominating and wiping things out. We'd like to pull that. And, and it's like, basically they, they are trained through history to say, okay, this is a bed of onions. So everything that's not an onion has to go. This is a bed of tomatoes. So I've identified the tomatoes. Everything that's not a tomato has to go. So it's like that's the it's like the way that they function. It's the way that they work. There's not much else you can do. It's it's it just gives me too much. And I and I think that the solution to that is is that you have a lot of interns. And and so then when when people come and they're newbies, it's like all right, I'm going to assign you to this intern. And until you get to lay the land, you do what the intern says. So that's probably why the bullets have so many interns, or one of the possible reasons. Um, I think it's a good reason to have it, but it's like they were still doing things in little monocropy bunches. Oh, and they had their espaliered apples, which bothers me. What? Espaliered apples. So this is something where Dave Bainline and I have a big disagreement, and and it's two different schools of thought. Um, uh, Dave thinks that, I mean, basically he has a... a uh, an apple hedge, so you'll, you'll have a row of a bunch of different apples, and then you walk down the hedge and pick apples. Um, and I think, well, that's a type of monocrop. And the other thing is an espaliered apple is where you've got, um, like, the branches of the apple tree are trained to, like, follow a fence line or something. So the apple tree becomes flat. Oh, yeah. And so, but it, it requires a lot of work, but it's like, this is how the bullocks like to be intimate with plants, with with lots of pruning and and lots of grafting, and and lots of interaction with the plants, and so they they do they do a lot of that kind of thing. So an espaliered apple is going to be like you know something that they're into, whereas I prefer to have an apple tree grow in its natural shape from seed, ungrafted. <laughs> You know, no transplanting. No transplant. And then you're like, oh, let's transplant this eight times. That'll be even better. Yeah, but again, it, it's just, like we said earlier, it's more of a playground. I think. Well, like where they can just try different things. Well, yes. Up to a point. Yeah, yeah. So different schools of thought. Right. Different schools of thought under the permaculture umbrella. Um, and and I and I think of like when they do the apple hedges or the the spindle cut apples or the espaliered apples or any of those kinds of things. I I, I kind of think like man, that's that's just saying you're making Mother Nature your personal bitch. And and I don't I don't like, I don't like the monocrop factor of it. Like you got too many of the same species all next to each other. I don't I don't like that. But they obviously think it's cool. And well, and I, again, I did get a lot from it. I really did. All right, so I I think that's that's all of our notes on on Orcas Island and the Boat Brothers. Um, is there anything else that you can think of from from our trip out there? I mean, I I think I picked up seven percent new things that I didn't know previously about the Bullock Brothers. Um, everything else I remember from a previous visit. And I don't know, what else, what have we left out? Yeah, it's uh, pretty much.
much covered Orchid Island. So, I mean, I've got I've got a, a few different videos of the Bullock Brothers that I've already put up. Oh, you have? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I've got a video of that um, outdoor classroom, which they I think they call the Sky Lodge or something yeah, like that. Yeah, kind of like what they called it in Dayton. In Dayton, the PDC with yeah. Keeter's thing. Um, I I like what the both brothers have that they have their of course their um, uh, cob oven which they gave a, a facelift. Uh, it looks prettier now. And, and actually, I like their um, the shower in the greenhouse. I was um, so I've talked to Dave before about my concerns with their showers. Boom squish. No, no, not boom squished. Legionella. I, I feel like it's a Legionella incubator. I, re- I remember those podcasts. Yeah, and so, um, but Dave said, Dave's defense is, well, nobody's died, so therefore it must be safe. And I kind of wonder if anybody's gotten pneumonia, and, you know, but it's like, oh, they didn't die of Legionella, they died of pneumonia. And it's like, um, where did they get the pneumonia? From Legionella? 85% of all pneumonia comes from Legionella. But but it's like uh, um, you know nobody's died. I mean, mostly it's the only people using those are typically the the young interns right. in their peak of health. Yeah, immune so. systems and so on and so forth. Right, right, right. So I have my concerns, but uh, another thing is, is as long as they use them regularly, frequently, and often, um, the uh, the reproductive rate is like to double every six hours under optimal conditions. And so if it's a hot, sunny day, then um, that's probably going to kill the Legionella. And if it's if the temperatures and everything's just right, and they, you know, have two or three people a day taking showers, there'll be enough turnover that the Legionella will never have enough chance to build up. The problem is going to come when they have a series of cloudy days, and then there's big gobs of time between showers. Yeah, because one thing I remember our tour guide saying is at least for the outdoor shower, they have this whole setup, and she actually said sometimes the water that they store in this tank actually gets up to boiling temperature. Right. And so they have a pressure release. So that in that case, it would kill Legionella, but again, that's only on sunny days. It, you know, and then it depends. I mean, will it kill? I mean, you got to kind of think it through, because if there's pockets where the water does not get up to boiling temperature... And then there's other pockets where the water does get up to boiling temperature. You know, then it's like, well, does it get hot enough in the other pocket to still kill the Legionella? You know, so you kind of see where that's kind of going. You know, and so it's like not a slam dunk even then. True. Um, and and I looked at the system and I thought, you know, I'm not, can't, I don't, I can't really tell if there could be pockets, but you know, from where I'm standing, I suppose it's possible. But um, and I and I do think that it's something to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. But they don't think that, and uh, they do get hot. And I took a shower in there once a couple of years ago. So, um, and it is amazingly warm, amazingly hot. Wow! But I took a shower like at the end of the day, too. <laughs> after the sun was out. Uh, yeah, after the sun had been out, often on a sunny, sunny day. 